This is Gareth Southgate, and this is the Three Lions Podcast. Welcome to the Three Lions Podcast. My name is Russell Osborne and this is an independent England football supporters podcast. Thank you once again for joining me. Now the last couple of episodes have taken on a bit of a historical look at England. We spoke with Mark Chapman about England's amateurs and to Graham Morse about his father-in-law, none other than Sir Walter Winterbottom, England's first manager. Hope you enjoyed them both. And with regards to speaking about England managers, I hope to delve a little deeper into some more of them throughout the year. But those two episodes are still available at your usual podcast provider and threelinespodcast.com. Now, since we last spoke, the FA have announced a couple of new senior men's fixtures in the run-up to this year's European Championships. And you'd be forgiven for having a moment of déjà vu. England will face both Austria and Romania at home. Although at this moment in time, we don't know whereabouts in the country. But we'll play Austria on Wednesday the 2nd of June at 8pm and Romania on Sunday the 6th of June. Now the tournament is due to start on the 11th of June in Rome and our first game is June the 13th. And I mentioned Deja Vu as both of these opponents were pencilled in last year before being cancelled. The big question, however, is will we be allowed to attend? At this moment in time, we just don't know. Although hearing that both the Carabao Cup and the FA Cup are being sort of mentioned with supporters in mind, gives you a little bit of a stronger sense of feeling that we may just be allowed in. Now, the Lionesses too have been scheduled some games. They haven't played since March last year in the She Believes Cup. They face Northern Ireland later this month on Tuesday the 23rd of February, kicking off at 12.30. It'll be played at St George's Park behind closed doors. And they will also play Canada on Tuesday the 13th of April. Time and location yet to be decided. It's been a while since we faced Northern Ireland. 13 years, in fact. Now, the Lionesses were, of course, scheduled to play away to Germany last year in October, but a coronavirus case in the camp prevented the team from travelling. And then in November, they were due to play Norway at Bramall Lane in Sheffield, but Norway were denied travel to the UK. So that was cancelled. Hopefully, it's third time lucky for the Northern Ireland game. So let's catch up with Rich Laverty and find out some more. Hello, Rich. Hi, Russell. Are you OK? All good. Thank you. Uh, a few things have, have changed since we last spoke. Phil Neville has departed and we have a new interim manager. Yeah, it's um, yeah. I, I've obviously been asked to write and, and talk about this a few times the last month or so. And I, I, every time I've said it, it, you know, it's exciting, but it's almost bittersweet that, you know, we've got two very experienced female coaches two legends of the game as well as players. I mean, Rianne Wilkinson's still quite new to coaching, but Hager has had a pretty illustrious coaching career so far and probably an even more illustrious playing career. So I think to have them, especially with such a young group, to kind of 
put their wisdom on them, so to speak, you know, part-time almost until obviously another legend takes over, you know, in Serena in the summer. Um, you, you kind of feel like England have sort of looked out a little bit, you know, sort of Phil got, I think when Phil left, everyone sort of said, oh, what do they do now? You know, they need an interim coach for a few months. But to be honest with you, it probably, I don't think it could have worked out any better. Yeah. I mean, what, how does Agarisa uh, go about this? Like, does she put her feet under the table and give it a, a real good go? Um, or is she going to be speaking with, with Serena Feigman and being in contact with her? And how does this going to work? I think she'll give it a good go because I think the FA have, have confirmed that Hager will be part of the Team GB staff. She's not going to necessarily, she might be the manager. Um, obviously, it will depend on, I suppose, how the next few months go, but she will go as a coach one way or another. So, you know, she's going to be around with the team, whether it's with England or with Team GB until obviously the Olympics, whether they happen or not, in August. So mm. I think, you know, she's got to get down to work pretty quick because it does. So, I don't know what Rianne's short-term future will be like, but, you know, Hager's going to be around this team for a while and, you know, she's going to go to a major tournament with, with probably quite a few of them. Obviously, it will be a different squad when it goes to TGB. But, yeah, I, I think she's got to hit the ground running because England are just behind now, you know, through no fault of their own. I mean, the US, you know, have, have had a few friendly games and a few camps and, obviously, as you touched upon in the intro, England's last two planned friendlies you know which were both against pretty competitive nations you know fell by the wayside for for well both covid related in different ways and you know we've not played for a year now you know it's yeah. it's, it's this time last year we were heading to she believes so it's um you're playing catch up you know i mean you were playing catch up anyway because the us you know are always going to go in the olympics as favorites um and now the fact that they're still playing games they played games at the back end of last year you know their players are fit and firing and, and we're sort of hitting reset a little bit so it's a big job I think you know I'm glad they've got this game on fingers crossed it does happen because you just never know these days do you games yep. can get called off at 24 hours notice so you know they'll play probably more competitive games you know along the way than Northern Ireland but it is a good test you know it's a team that you know have been set up quite well they'll probably come and try and frustrate England and and I'm sure you know it's just going to be uh it's just going to make a change from them having to play against each other so yeah I, I think Hager's going to go Straight eye, I think she needs to because, you know, like I said, th this is all being geared towards the Olympics now and, and we are playing catch up a little bit. Yeah. And squad wise, um, there's a couple of little eye, eye raises. Um, no Nikita Paris, although that is because um, COVID related. Um, and, and I guess the, the big headline was was no Beth Mead. But um, Hager has said that she just just doesn't she hasn't played enough at the moment and, and she's not not up to it, she said. Yeah, I kind of admired Hager's um, honesty a little bit mm. with that. You know, we were on her media call and, and someone asked about Beth Mead and she just went, well, her player report's not been great. So <laughs> she didn't really, uh, she didn't skirt around the point. Um, but I think, I think you're going to see that now, you know, because, you know, the Team GB squad, I mean, I think there's 21 players in this England squad. There's going to be 18 in Team GB. So straight away, you're losing another three, and that's before you even start thinking about, you know, your Kim Littles or your Erin Cuthberts or your Kaz Weirs or your Jess Fishlocks, you know, Sophie Ingle, Hayley Ladd, etc. You know, you, you could easily have six, seven players from, from Scotland and Wales. So you look at it and think, well, hang on a minute, the 21 England players that are in this camp right now, there might only be 12, 13 of them actually go to Team GB. So 
I think if people are surprised by Beth Mead not being in the squad, I think they might be in for a shock come, uh, you know, the Team GB squad announcement. And I, I partly hope it does happen for that. You know, we've talked for so long now yeah. about this Team GB. You know, we we went through it all last year with, with Phil Neville and who was going to be in the squad. And then obviously it got delayed. And, and now we've done it all again for another year. That If we never actually find out who would have gone, it's going to feel like a real... Waste of time, isn't it? Considering <laughs> how long we've we've talked about it. So, yeah. but I, I think you know, no one's safe now. You know, th- this is you know, eighteen players from four nations. There's, there's going to be some brutal, brutal decisions to make for whoever the team GB manager is, whether it's Hager or someone else. And yeah, you know, if you're not playing at the very top, you know, any other camp, Beth Mead probably would have done all right to be in there. But now, you know, with how competitive it is. If you're not at the very top of your game or you're not playing week in, week out, you're going to be under threat at the minute. And, uh, you know, Hager's come in and, and showed a bit of ruthlessness straight away. So, and I think, you know, I don't think it was intentional to do that, but I think, you know, it will probably send a little message out to the other players to think, mm, you know, this, uh, you know, this could happen to any of us kind of thing. Yeah. And, and the players want honesty, don't they? So I guess. Show not sure, I'm not sure whether Beth will after hearing that, <laughs> but it, you know. Um, but yeah, I think you know it's a challenge, isn't it, for Beth to yeah. go out? She's been a little bit unlucky, you know. In that, I think Beth, she had such a peak, didn't she? Kind of a couple of years ago, or as she yeah. believes, when she scored the, the the contentious shot versus cross goal, and uh, you know she had a bit of a purple patch, and she took that into Arsenal, and everyone was kind of looking at her, you know, oh, she's the breakout, you know, she's going to be, you know, real key player for England, and. Yeah, it's it's hard to live up to those levels forever, and she's probably gone back to performing kind of consistently without maybe being, you know, the star player. Maybe just because of that, you, you know, your light shines a little, you know, less in in a manager's mind, even though you're probably doing everything you were before. Um, but I, you know, naturally as well, other players overtake you. You look at Lauren Hemp and her impact now at Man City, and Chloe Kelly at Man City, and you know, you probably go well. Has Beth been as good as those two this season? Probably not. And that's not a criticism of Beth because she's, you know, she's still contributing a lot of goals and assists. It's just the competition now is so fierce, and you know, you probably look at those two and say they've been probably aside from, you know, Leah Galton at Man United, probably two, the two standout English wingers in the league this season. So you know, it's brutal if you're not performing. To the very top level, there are players now that are going to come and, and overtake you for your, your spot in the national team squad. Yeah, and then there was the the other surprise was I guess Bristol City's Ebony Salmon who who got the call up after the squad had been announced, didn't she? Yeah, it was a surprise in one sense in terms of it didn't look like obviously she was going to make it obviously when the initial squad was announced, but I don't think it's a surprise in terms of how well she's playing. Um, you know, she's been for a team that. You know, is is down the bottom and struggling, and, and doesn't you know create tons and tons of chances every game for its striker. You know, I think she scored five of their ten goals or something this season. And you know, I worked with Ebony at Sheffield United briefly, and you know, I, I wrote in a column today. You know, it, it was all there. The pace, I mean, the raw pace is like nothing I've seen in the women's game. You know, you see a lot of male players. You know, that some of them are incredibly. Rapid. You don't often see that kind of. I think maybe Shanice van der Sanden at Leon was the other one, but the way Ebony can just burst past defenders. You know, 
I think technically there's still a bit to come from Ebony. Um, I think she's really improved her finishing. But at the end of the day, if you have that raw pace, that's so hard to defend against. And that is going to take you to the very top because it is such a rare attribute. She just gets in time and time and time again. And, you know, obviously, if you get in three, four, five one-on-ones a game because of your pace, you know, you're going to put most of them away and you're going to get a lot of attention because you score goals. So I think Ebony, if she adds a little bit more to her game, you know, which will come with age, you know, she's still very, very young, but she's going to be a top player. And I'll be interested how it goes for her because I'm sure she's going to get, you know, a big move in the summer. I don't think she'll be at Bristol City beyond this season. So, you know, it'd be interesting to see how she takes that step up wherever she goes because she's a super talent. And again, you think about an England team for the next five, ten years that has Lauren Hemp, Chloe Kelly, you know, Obviously, Ebony, you've got Lauren James to come back in, Alessia Russo to come back in. All of them are, you know, 19, 20, 21, 22, top end, Ella Toon, another one. And you think, you know, for Serena to come in on a long-term contract, she's got an unbelievable foundation to work off in terms of her attack. Uh, maybe some of the other, other areas need a bit of freshening up. Uh, and maybe in some areas we don't have those players immediately coming through. But I think the England team over the next five, ten years, is going to be very, very exciting to watch. Well, that's what we want to be hearing with the uh, the European Championships coming up in... Is that, that was delayed, wasn't it, for a, for a year? Everything's been delayed, yeah. yeah. Everything. We're just, we just, you know, let's just pretend nothing happened last year. And I, I mean, I'm, I turned 30 this year, but I'm still classing myself as 28, so... <laughs> I'm yeah. having another. I'm having another year. <laughs> why not? Why not? And then, so this game's been played at St George's Park. I mean, is this the first time a uh, an international has been played at St George's Park? Oh, you're testing my my knowledge and memory now. Um, I don't probably, remember there being one. I mean, they've played obviously in house games there. Yeah, I don't. I mean, like youth cup finals and things have been there, but I don't think an England senior team. I'm sure maybe the youth teams have. Yeah, I don't think the men or women would have played at an actual international. I mean, it's Jill Scott's, or it might be Jill Scott's 150th cap, and I, th- yeah. I kind of think like that's a bit of a uh, a bit of a come down, isn't it, from uh, the potential of you know a full stadium or you know even you know playing Germany, you know even if it had have been in front of you know nobody to play Germany or to play Norway, obviously at Bramall Lane um, would have still been a great occasion. Playing Northern Ireland at St George's Park, it's um, Probably not the the way you dream your hundred and fiftieth cap, but you know it's still a good achievement for her. But yeah, it's just it's a, a signifier of where we are in the world still, isn't it? That you know yeah. we're playing behind closed doors, friendlies, at essentially a training ground. Yeah, no, it's it's unfortunate, um, but hopefully we can uh, can get a win and sort of look forward um, going onwards. Because of course, there's the the Canada game in April, which I'm sure we'll uh, we'll speak to you about in due course. Yeah, that'll be an interesting game. Canada in She Believes this year. So, if you're having a look at that, I think they've got quite a few players missing, though, because they've either got some injuries or, or the European clubs. Uh, they've got a few players at Lyon and PSG who are not uh, releasing their players. So, it's a tricky start for Bev. Obviously, Bev Priestman's gone over there, who was Phil's assistant. So, yeah, hopefully that game happens and it's at an actual stadium and obviously it probably still won't have fans, but you know, it's, um, it'll be a good test, but yeah, I, th- I think Northern Ireland will be a good test. You know, they they did so well, you know, to get to the playoffs, you know, above Wales, obviously. And, uh, you know, they've got their playoffs to look forward to and who knows, you know, they might still qualify for the Euros. It'll be 
very, very difficult for them. But, you know, Kenny Shields has done a great job and slightly conflicted because their goalkeeper, Becky Flaherty, plays for Sheffield United and I know Becky well. So, um, you know, if uh, if she keeps a clean sheet and, and thwarts England, I'm sure people will be talking about her. And, and if she doesn't, then probably means England have done something right. So, uh, yeah, I'll be uh, I'll be somewhat conflicted, wanting, obviously, England to do well. But, obviously, if Becky plays, wanting Becky to do quite well as well because it's obviously it'll be a big game for her to play against England. So, yeah, I'll be watching on intently. All right. Well, yeah, let, let's talk about it. Uh, yeah, when the next game comes around. Yeah, it'll be uh, it'll be a good game. And, uh, yeah, just hopefully nice to see England back actually playing some kind of competitive football. Absolutely, absolutely. Rich, thank you very much for your time, as always. Not a problem. Good to hear from Rich there, getting us up to speed with the Lionesses. Don't forget you can follow Rich on social media, Twitter, at Rich J Laverty. Now, let's get on to the mains with this episode. I had the pleasure of speaking with an England fan who has come through a lot of adversity in his life and has lived to tell the tale. In fact, he's written it down. This is my conversation with Travel Club member Mark Smith and author of Strength of Mind. Now, it's safe to say in these recent times, things have been tough on us all, needing to stay strong and positive. Strength of mind, maybe. Someone who has that in abundance is MK Dons, an England fan, Mark Smith, and I'm pleased to say he's joined me for a chat. Hello, Mark. Hi, mate. You all right? Yes, very well. Thank you. Yourself? Yeah, good. Yeah. Thank you for having me on. You're more than welcome. More than welcome. I saw your few posts on the the England Supporters Travel Club Facebook page, and and you've you've written a book, which obviously we're gonna gonna talk about, and some England anecdotes. But I thought, well, I'd always like to try and get England supporters on, especially when they've done things off their own back and, and especially yourself, you've got a, uh, a few stories to tell, I'm sure. But yeah, it's an ideal chance just to, to say hello and, and hear your side of things. Yeah, yeah, no, thank you. Yes. So, so I mean, it's, we all know it's been a, been a tough time, but by all accounts, you used it quite positively to, to write this book. Yeah, um, obviously when the first lockdown started, for me, the two biggest things that were sort of lost in that time were being able to go to the gym to train regularly and to play football so I needed something to sort of pass that time and friends that I'd served with had suggested beforehand you know why don't you sort of write a book so when when that first sort of national lockdown happened that seemed like the perfect time and opportunity to do that Um, so yeah I managed I managed to write an entire book in in four months Wow. So, yeah. <laughs> well, well, I mean, take us back to the take us back to the beginning because you were all right. Saying that, was it Grenadier Guard in the British yes. Army? Yeah. Wow. And and obviously, an, an accident happened, and and that was where the inspiration is that the right thing for <laughs> for, for this book? Uh, but I mean, the book is called Strength of Mind. So so yeah, go on, tell us, tell us a little bit about it. Don't give too much away, because obviously I want people to go and find a book, but, uh, <laughs> but go on, tell us tell us a little bit in your own words. Yeah, so I'd I'd been I'd joined the Grenadiers when I was 18. Um so I'd I'd been on operational tours 
sort of all over the world, sort of Bosnia, Iraq, Afghanistan. And I'd recently become a dad for the first time before going out to Canada. It was um, our pre-deployment training to go back out to Afghanistan. And as the sort of exercise progressed on, you, you progress on to sort of live firing with live ammunition. And ironically, I was one of the, the safety staff um, and I was I was shot sort of several times through a through a wall, um, a, a sort of MDF building as such, right. sort of just used temporarily, knocked down, replaced. Um, so, yeah, one lad, obviously one side of the wall, unaware I was the other side. Um, and I took six gunshots to my right leg. Uh, they entered in through through my backside and, and come out through my groin, but they hit my femoral artery on the way. So, uh, obviously, to have a major arterial bleed, you've got three to four minutes before you completely bleed out. Um, and the the other sort of stray round uh, hit my shoulder. So it went in through, through the back of my right shoulder and, and took all the front of it away. So thankfully I was working with some some really sort of experienced lads that day who sort of played a huge part in keeping me alive. Um I I flatlined um on the helicopter on the way to hospital uh, and again in theater. Um I think the longest I'd flatlined for about was 5 minutes which the more sort of uh unnoticeable parts uh, the, the knock-on effect for that is uh I ended up with something called a hypoxic injury which is a uh, lack of oxygen to the brain. No. So uh, all things like my sort of short-term memory and stuff like that is shot to pieces now. Right. But yeah, I'd, after after sort of two days of, of being on life support, um, they they amputated my my leg above the knee. And at the time they were worried as well because I hadn't been moving the arm, that, that I may lose the arm as well. But thankfully I managed to, I managed to keep that bit. But yeah, then went through I'd, I'd spent a further uh few weeks in intensive care in canada before the the mod flew me back to the queen elizabeth hospital in birmingham and i spent nine weeks there and i think to date i've had about 27 operations on both my leg and my shoulder <laughs> um yeah I'd, i still i still sort of clung to the hope that i could stay in the forces after that for a little while but then once the reality sort of sunk in that my career was done, mm. um, I was adamant I still wanted to be very active. Obviously, I'd, I'd grown up playing football. I'd played football for the regiment as well. And that was the thing. I was I was upset that obviously my military career was over because that was all I'd wanted to do. But equally, I was upset that I thought I might never play football again. So everything that I've done since I was medically discharged has really been about sport and trying to sort of be a good role model for my children and stuff. So yeah, I've spent the last sort of nine years, like just, just pushing myself, you know, I've, I've got this extra opportunity, so I'm going to use it well. Yeah. Um, well, it, so. it certainly seems like you have, because am I right in saying you, you were Britain's strongest disabled man or, or England's strongest disabled man? Yeah, yeah, I was I was both um, at one point, and I'd also won uh, the Arnold Arnold Schwarzenegger Classic in <laughs> Columbus in Ohio. Really, uh, two years running. Yeah. Um, Did you meet him? Was he there? No. To be fair, they when speaking to some of the Americans, 
once he'd become like a politician, you you couldn't get near him. Oh, right. um, but yeah, he he was there. We we saw him from about thirty feet away. But <laughs> I mean, that competition in terms of strongman is is sort of the World Cup of of strongman competition. So right. you're in an arena with hundred plus thousand people and the ten best athletes in the world. So to win that twice is probably the, the, my, my biggest achievement in strongman. But yeah, I won, I won Britain's strongest two years running as well. My first one was my very first competition. Really? Yeah. But yeah. Someone saying, who's this ringer? Yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah, I'd, um, I'd turned up for, for the experience sort of hoping to sort of learn a little bit, come away with some, some work on points, hoping for top 10 if I was lucky. Yeah. My, my very first event was a truck pool and I'd, I won that and uh yeah, it turned out I had a bit of a sort of knack for for truck pulling and, and Atlas Stones and they were my two sort of favourite and probably best events. Well I'm I'm immediately thinking of I've seen the regular Britain's strongest man on the yeah. telly and if they're pulling a truck, do they not have straps over the shoulders? And yeah. then I'm immediately thinking you said your your shoulder was has taken a bit of a beating. Is it was it done the same way? Um, so in disabled strongman, it's split into two classes: uh, standing and seated. So the standing class will be mainly arm amputees or a leg amputee, sort of below the knee, visually impaired, a real sort of mixture of, mm. of disabilities. And they will do all the events as you would see on World Strongest Man. I competed in the seated class, right. so everything that we did was adapted slightly and done sat down. So yeah. for me to pull a truck. I would be facing it 25 meters away, sat yeah. on my backside, and then it's all arm strength. Um, so yeah, you haven't obviously got the use of your legs. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah. What sort of uh, truck are we talking here? Uh, Arctic. So sort of the the cabs, the nine tonners. Um, really? Yeah. I actually hold a world record for pulling two at the same time um, on Brands Hatch Racetrack. So uh, how do you pull what from? Each way, or how? Uh, no, towards me. So, sort of sat sat on the floor, um, yeah. harnessed up to a vehicle behind, so that I can't sort of move too much. Oh, yeah. and keeps you sort of restrained. And then, yeah, twenty five meter rope attached to the front vehicle, and then there's a harness uh, connecting the, the to two in uh, a line. I see what you mean. Yeah, and then wow. I'm pulling them towards me. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, I'm not having an arm <laughs> wrestle with you. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that a fair play. Wow. I mean, was that something that you you'd done before this this all happened? No. I mean, I'd always sort of trained in the military like when when you're in places like Afghanistan, the downtime that you get between patrols and stuff, there's not much to sort of keep you occupied. So you spend a lot of time sort of using weights and stuff like that. I'd always grown up watching World's Strongest Man at Christmas time and stuff and never thought, especially after losing a leg, never thought it'd be something I'd be capable of. But one of the big factors in turning to strength and, and weight training was um, during my sort of nine-week stay in, in hospital, where I'd been nil by mouth for so many sort of consecutive days through going in and out of theatre, I dropped, I'm, I'm six foot one, and I dropped uh, under nine stone um just and even when I could eat because of the amount of morphine and stuff everything was 
horrible. So, <laughs> so yeah, I, it was it was one of the things that played on my mind when I was in hospital was how how ill I looked. Uh, so as soon as I'd got to Headley Court to do my rehabilitation, get walking and so forth, I spent every sort of free period and and evenings and stuff like that in the gym. And then, yeah, I was invited down to to basically an open day to come and try try disabled strongman. And because I'd, I'd I'd done a couple of bodybuilding competitions when I first left the army, just again, just um, more a confidence booster, just to prove to myself that I could. Um, and so, I, yeah, I'd, because of that, I'd got invited down to come and have a go at trying the Atlas Stones, log pressing, deadlifting, and I absolutely loved it. Yeah. So, Oh, great stuff. And I mean, you mentioned football there, playing football. And it's something we've spoken about on a previous podcast is amputee football. And and that's something that you've you've been managed to, to get involved with. And, and that football career has, has continued. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like I said, it's one of the things that really sort of upset me equally as much as losing my, my career is the thought of not playing, not playing football again. And and I've got two sons. So obviously I, I wanted to be able to play football with them growing up. And yeah. And a couple of years ago, I'd, I'd gone for a bit of a, I think like most sort of veterans do at one point or another, gone for a, a sort of real low point. And one of the big things to sort of come out of it was how much I missed football. So I, I started sort of training. Um, I'd, gone along to a few walking football sessions with people um just to sort of get a feel for it on crutches and and then yeah I'd, I'd got in touch with um Peter United's amputee football team at the time and just sort of inquired uh and I was invited down to their their first fixture of the season uh beginning of 2019 and got thrown straight in at the deep end and then went on in the first season to win the league with Peterborough. Um, right. So spent... You really are a bit of a ringer, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I got my fingers in lots of pies. So. <laughs> but yeah, obviously at the time I was still competing in strongman as well. So trying to link the two together um, was was hard going. Uh, obviously the, the weight that I was at the time. And, and so I... I spent most of that first season at centre half. Right, yeah. <laughs> I, I was I was more sort of in the way. Um, <laughs> whereas I realising how much I sort of loved playing amputee football, I, I made the decision to give up strongman. Okay. Shift all of that excess weight I was carrying mm-hmm. on the pitch. Um, and yeah, concentrate on the football. And this season I've joined West Bromwich Albion, so I just I'm itching for this season to start now. Yeah. But you're still able to train, though. Is that right? Yeah, obviously, with all of these tiers and stuff, it still means I can, I can sort of train on my own or with one of the other players. So, right. yeah, it was still able to get something in, but there's nothing quite like obviously a competitive game no. um, and sort of going in for that first tackle early on. I miss, <laughs> I miss that. So. Oh. Well, and I mean, obviously, you're you're in the the England Travel Club, so you've been following England. How did all that come about? Where have you been with England? Uh, my first my first trip away was to the World Cup in Russia. Yeah. Um, it's been on my my bucket list for for years to be able to follow England away, um, and it was just it was more a case of 
having a group of people to go with obviously you know the 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 cost and everything like that and we were actually sat watching the Sweden game the quarterfinals and I'd said you know we if we win this game we'll, we'll be on a flight tomorrow sort of thing and my mates were a bit like yeah okay you know we'd had a few to drink and stuff and <laughs> I was deadly serious next morning I got up looked into it all booked the flights and there we were at Heathrow flying out um yeah I remember sort of phoning my wife from from the Luzhniki stadium we were just behind <laughs> the goal for the Croatia game yeah with a bit of a lump in my throat because it was like I mean the, the first the first world cup I remember was Italia 90 um mm. and ever since then you know you you hear you hear the England fans on the telly and stuff and as like, I I want to experience that and yeah I'd I, I just found it overwhelming to walk in that stadium and just see the St. George's crosses everywhere. And so I was, I was hooked then. So I don't think I've missed many games since. Yeah. You've been down to, to Wembley. I mean, you're not, you're in Milton Keynes, so Wembley's not, not a million miles for you. No, no. We tend to, tend to get the train down first thing in the morning, get to the, uh, the Weatherspoons by the stadium and we're in there till about an hour before kickoff. So yeah. <laughs> It's just a, just another England game, that one. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're all the same. I mean, from I've I've never really spoken to an England fan about sort of facilities for for disabled people. I mean, how does Wembley stack up against, say, the the Luzhniki or or any other um, away games that you may have been to, or for for football fans in general? Um, I'd say Wembley's Wembley's fine. Like, obviously. 90-95% of the time I'm on a prosthetic leg so I try not to be in a wheelchair and stuff like that so I try and just get by uh, but but Wembley's Wembley's fine Russia was was interested I, I don't think in the, the entire time I was there I saw another disabled person I, I saw a couple of amputees at the Nations League um, yeah. I, I'm one of those people I, I'm just happy I'm there so mm. I'll get by I think that's the thing that the enjoyment of being at the football outweighs the fact that, you know, this has limits. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah. Yeah. And in terms of Wembley, like it's absolutely fine. Yeah. But I guess that's, uh, is that where the, uh, the, the title of the book really came from there? Is it strength of mind? Yeah. Um, it's, I think I'd say a couple of years ago, like, like most sort of veterans that have been in this position, it catches up with you eventually. And I, I was going for a real patch of just, just constant pain and um, really sort of missing, missing being in the forces, which until the, even with a strong man um, until football never really disappeared. It would always keep rearing its head. Every, every little setback, I just missed being a soldier. So I'd, I'd sort of, I'd got to the point where, even though it had been advised for a couple of years prior, I finally sort of accepted that I needed some help. Um, and so, yeah, I, I went through sort of counselling and stuff and um, really sort of surprised myself with how much I sort of opened up and got off my chest and built that that sort of mental robustness, I suppose. Um, sort of, And then trying to sort of spin the amputation on its head and, and look at it as a positive. Um, and so is it therapeutic then to, to get it all down on paper? Yeah, it, it did feel like that. It's yeah. I, I felt like if, if I'm going to do this, I want to put everything down um, to, 
to give people that have sort of followed myself over the last few years through strongman and bodybuilding and, and the football and stuff for them to understand like what makes me tick and why why I throw myself into pulling two trucks and getting on a football pitch again and um yeah just just sort of it is it's that mental state of uh like I said the the achievements sort of outweigh the disability uh everything has been about trying to trying to be a, a sort of good role model and stuff and so that's where that's where the sort of title for the book come from really it, it all sort of seemed in keeping with to do those things and to to sort of build your life back up after losing your career and, and losing your leg I suppose does does require a certain amount of of mental sort of resilience yeah so and the a lot of the is it the proceeds or profits against charity yes um so Aiden a uh, little boy he actually carried the match ball out at, um an England game at Wembley Stadium shortly before he he passed away uh, I think he was eight years old yeah. and they're they're sort of friends of the family and the family after he passed away set up a charity to look after and, and support the families and the children going through sort of similar sort of cancer treatment yeah um so they they go along to the cancer ward at Milton Keynes General down to John Radcliffe in in Oxford and just sort of try and make the whole sort of stay for the children a little bit more well, enjoyable, but yeah, to take their mind off of the situation that they're in and being such a small charity this year, they, they would normally rely heavily on being able to hold summer functions, Christmas balls, things like that. And obviously all of those haven't taken place. So I feel like we're in a fortunate position through my military pension that, you know, we've got a roof over our head, food on the table sort of thing. And and the money from this book would be a lot more beneficial to them. So, oh, Great stuff. And it's called Aiden's Fund, is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Named after named after the little boy who's passed away. So, yeah, yeah. Oh, top stuff. Nice one. So, I mean, for those that like the sound of the book, where, where can they go and get it? Yeah, you, you can. Um, there's a link to it on my, my Facebook page, which is... Uh, Mark Smith amputee footballer um, or on Amazon if you type in strength of mind on Amazon uh, it's available in Kindle and paperback and like I said all of the all of the profits uh, once the sort of cost of um, producing the book and the postage is taken out every other penny goes to the charity I mean it's been on sale two weeks now and we've raised just over 1500 pound for the charity wow so yeah I'm really really happy with it and and the actual feedback for the book itself has has been nice. Um, lots of lads I've served with and stuff have have actually uh, learned to read. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, I've I've had some really nice comments back from it. So good yeah. stuff. Oh, well, I know there's a fair few English supporters who go regularly who've have got military background. So yeah, I'm sure they'd be uh, be interested to to read it, hear about it. So uh, yeah, now thank you very much for. Uh, for for sparing some time to to chat with us mark no it's my pleasure like i said thank you for for having me on i really appreciate it and well hopefully uh this year when there's a uh when there's a game on we can uh maybe say hello yeah yeah that'd be nice yeah because uh obviously now that i've got the bug for it i intend on being at, at every england game that they'll let us come to so yeah, yeah. well let's let's keep our fingers crossed yeah yeah 
Huge thanks to Mark there for his time. Truly inspirational. Great guy. Thank you for listening. Now, if you've liked what you've heard, why not tell your friends? Why not give it a review on the likes of iTunes? Plus, you can follow the podcast on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Just search Three Lions Podcast. Now, I'll be back very soon with another episode with some more England content. And I've been speaking with various England fans about their memories. So stay subscribed for that. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. Until the next time, take care, stay positive, stay safe. Despite the weather, things are looking brighter. Cheers. Cheers.